What's up, producers? Welcome to the EDM podcast. My name is Sam Mettler, and this interview is really special. It's with a guy called Travis Terrell. He's the co-founder and CEO of a company called Soundstripe. Now, the way Soundstripe works is basically it's an unlimited music licensing service for videographers, creators, uh, anyone who needs royalty-free music. So you pay $15 a month or $135 a year and you get access to all this music that you can use uh, in your creations. Now, why am I telling you this as a producer? I mean, you make music yourself. Why would you need to use a company like Soundstripe? Well, you don't. Uh, But obviously, he works with a ton of musicians. He's also been a musician and he's got a ton of advice when it comes to uh, creativity, dealing with fear, Uh, self-awareness, persistence, all this kind of stuff. And we talk about that in this interview. So uh, Travis started out as a musician. He toured the world. Then he got into music licensing, recording studio, all that kind of stuff, and then ended up starting Soundstripe. So he's got a ton of experience. Uh, And in this interview, we talk about that, how he got started. We talk about how to deal with fear properly and how he thinks about it. We talk about the dichotomy between self-awareness and persistence, why these are opposing forces and why it's important that we understand this as creative people. And Travis also shares what he would do if he was to build a career in the music industry as an artist today and also the things that he would not do. There's a wealth of information in this interview. I hope you enjoy it. If you do, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. Go to edmprod.com forward slash iTunes and leave a rating and review. Without further ado, here's Travis. This episode of the EDM Podcast is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is a comprehensive online course that helps new producers master the fundamentals of electronic music production by making four songs in four weeks. It is made by yours truly, and we've had over 950 students take the course. Many of them have had great results. Get 10% off EDM Foundations by using the code PRODCAST, that is P-R-O-D-C-A-S-T, at checkout. Again, just head to edmfoundations.com and use code PRODCAST at checkout. Welcome back to the EDM podcast today. I'm joined by Travis Terrell. Is that how you pronounce your last name? That is it. It's exactly. You nailed, awesome. it. nailed it. I always do this with interviews where I'm not sure. I just won't ask beforehand and I'll guess it uh, and see if I can get it right. So <laughs> I love cool. It. Well, how's it going, Travis? It is wonderful. It is Friday afternoon here in Nashville, Tennessee, and um, I'm, I'm loving it. I had to take an employee to the... Uh, the ER earlier because she banged her head up against something and had a concussion. <laughs> so wow. you never know what uh, it may hold, <laughs> a day, day may hold, but wow. uh, it, it, I'm glad to be here and thanks for having me on. No, of course. Uh, so I want to like, I listened to a podcast interview with you. Uh, I forgot what the podcast name was. I think it was Everyone's Dumb. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I listened to that. You've got a really interesting background. So I want to dive into that to begin with. Uh, For those who don't know you, I will say this in the intro, but you are the founder of Soundstripe, which is basically uh, an unlimited source for uh, source of music for creators, maybe a video editor or something like that, um, startups, 
Would that be a correct assessment? Yes. Uh, yeah, we license music to filmmakers all over the world, um, particularly uh, independent filmmakers. Um, but mm. it spans from uh, the Fortune 500, like Microsoft and Tesla, mm. but and it, and it goes all the way down to YouTubers and grandma in Kansas that just wants a video <laughs> for her uh, children or something like that. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been quite the ride. We uh, and now we we license um, about a million downloads a year. Uh, wow. and it's, uh, so yeah, a million licenses have been, been given out so far. It's, it's pretty, pretty, uh, awesome. The, the ride that we've been on. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, so that's, 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 that's it in a nutshell. Brilliant. So obviously that's, hasn't always been that way. When, tell us about your background, like the moment you kind of got into music cause you're a musician beforehand, right? I, I was absolutely. Um, my, my grandfather is the one that inspired me to start taking up music. Uh, he was a, uh, a car salesman and, uh, he got started playing music, uh, when he was 65 and he just did it f- because he loved it. And I would go over, um, to, to the car lot and, and he would have, uh, you know, violin, fiddle, harmonicas, guitar sitting around. And I, I was seven years old at the time. And I really just, uh, fell in love with the music, not really, uh, knowing that it would take me on this wild ride, uh, no, not knowing anything about the music industry, but just because music was fun and it made me feel good. And, um, Mm. and so uh, that became really my whole life. I, I started, started really, um, getting serious about it. Uh, when I was a teenager, um, I was a very weird kid. Um, and what do you mean by that? Um, (laughs) I didn't have many friends. Um, I was bullied a little bit. I just, uh, in fact, uh, my, um, senior year of high school, I missed so many days. I skipped so many days. I had to do community service. I got in big trouble with the school and really it was because I would go home, uh, and and practice. (laughs) So really, really nerdy. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, and really my, my background was in really old music, folk music, uh, got into jazz when I was young. So really my, my, my good friends when I was in high school were 70 years old. <laughs> so it, it was, I was an old soul to begin with, I think, but I, that, so I really just fell in love with that kind of music and, uh, just, and, and that, that's kind of, that was my childhood basically playing music all the time, practicing, uh, going to, to old, uh, uh, jam sessions, uh, doing shows, uh, throughout the state. I'm from, the, uh, Texas. So, um, so yeah, that, that's kind of how I got started. Right. And then from there, what happens? I mean, you, you leave school, uh, and what does that period look like after that? Yeah. So, um, I've told this story before, but, but basically I went to school, um, for a, uh, commercial music program, uh, in Waco, uh, Texas. And basically they, you know, they teach you, um, music business. They, you know, and, and they, they teach you, uh, commercial music. Basically it was not the non-classical route, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, Berkeley does this kind of stuff. There's other schools that do that now. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but I thought that 
I don't know. For some reason, I was a terrible student and I ended up going uh, to Arkansas for a uh, one more year of school. And that, that was the nail in the coffin for me. Uh, and I just said, I have to move to Nashville. Uh, I don't know why, except I, I, there's, I need to play music and I do not need to, to be in school. Um, and so I, that I was, was cocky. I thought I knew everything and I, I thought I could handle anything that really at that time, I just wanted to be on the road. And, um, right. and so I moved to Nashville with, you know, two or $300 in my, my pocket and, uh, moved, uh, you know, uh, no, you know, one bedroom uh, apartment with four or five people slept on a futon for six months, you know, oh, the, 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 <laughs> the Nashville dream. And, uh, th- and, and really from there, I, I just started getting my feet wet and I, I met everybody I could and, you know, nearly starved to death <laughs> a couple times. And, but finally got, got, got into uh, touring and, um, I, I, I just, lucked my way into playing with a band and um and that band was called everlife that was opening for uh hannah montana at the time and jonas brothers and it was a disney pop band so uh a a guy from texas and uh, come that used to play folk music comes to nashville quits playing country music altogether because it's terrible now <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's god awful. And then, and then, uh, and then puts on tight green pants and, you know, plays in this pop band. And so I had a blast. We got to, um, you know, tour all over, over the world um, several times. And so, yeah. And, and from that, the, uh, you know, that was just a, a sheer, I was at the right place at the right time. <laughs> and, uh, so from there, I, I started playing with other bands. Um, I started doing recording sessions, which was, which was really my dream at the time. And, um, and then the, the kind of, you know, I don't know if, do you allow cussing on here? <laughs> yeah, go for it, man. yeah, the shit hit the fan. Right. So the, it, it really, and that's what happens so much, uh, in the, in the music business is that it's hot and then it's cold, it's hot and it's cold. So it was really hot for me. And then all of a sudden nothing. How quickly did that happen? Not to interrupt, but like, because for some people it's kind of the slow, their career dies. And then for some people it's like overnight, like it's just boom. Well, I, you know, honestly, I think it depends on how well, um, you've saved up (laughs) and how well you're prepared. But for a 19 year old kid, a 20, I think I was actually uh, probably 20, 21 at the time, you know, you have no savings, you have nothing to, Mm -hmm. to go off on. So it's really just a, if, if you don't have a tour, then you're, you're, you're done, you know? And so that was as pretty quick for me. So I, I really, I moved back to school. I gave up, um, fear overtook me and I uh, decided I was going to be a music teacher, which, you know, what do you mean by fear? Fear overtook you though. I mean, fear of trying again or what was that? Yeah, I, I think, yeah. I mean, fear of, of, letting myself down of, of Mm -hmm. not making it of, uh, you know, I think there's just, 
fear is, is a, at the time I didn't know how to dance with it. And I thought Mm. I just, it either had to be, um, no fear or fear. So, you know, now I've, Mm. I really realized that fear is a integral part of the creation process. And, and, uh, I, I welcome it. Uh, and it's something that you have, you, you really, um, you have to have, um, because you're a human and all humans have fear, but, but, uh, but really that, that, that fear was a, you're going to starve. You're really nothing. You should play it safe. You should be a music teacher and get a real job like real people and, and uh, like normal people and, and do what, you know, get, get an insurance plan, all the things. Right. And so I, um, I went back to school and I was there for one semester and I, that was the, the, really the nail in the coffin. I kind of had to work myself up and I said, I'm, I'm not meant to do this. And uh, I'm, I'm meant to, to be in, in music in some capacity. Um, and, and I did not try hard enough and I didn't, I gave up way too easily. And so from then on, it was, I, I decided to go back to Nashville and become a tour bus driver, which is super strange, right? Um, I, I decided to get my commercial driver's license and start touring with, with bands and because it, it makes actually really good money. Uh, it's really hard. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great career, but it's super, super hard. Um, Why is that? Uh, you're just up all night long. It's a, it's a, it's a night job while everybody else is sleeping on the bus and yeah. you, you really don't, uh, interact with a lot of people. It's, um, and, and you're just, it's a lot of responsibility to keep, keep these people safe and you just, you're gone so long. Um, but it was a part of my life and I, I, um, I toured for around, 10 years, uh, off and on. And, uh, that was, you know, some, some years I was gone 300 days a year and some, sometimes 150, but yeah, it was, it was tough, but I, I got to see, you know, the world and meet my heroes. And did it give you a, a different perspective on touring at all? Like you, you would see these people, you know, every day for a long time. Mm-hmm. Surely you saw like the, I don't want to say the dark side, but like the not so good side of touring. Absolutely. I mean, and, and I was one of those people. I, but, but really mm. the, the, uh, I have a, a unique perspective, I think, because I was the one playing uh, in bands and, and, and touring, but then I switched and became the help, <laughs> if you will, became part of the crew. And, you know, I gotta say it is a tough, tough, uh, job touring is. And, and a lot of people tend to glamorize touring (laughs) and it's really hard work. And if you, if you ever want to do it, go do it, please do it. But, but also know that, you know, a month in it, it is, you know, without seeing your family, without talking, without showering, without eating a proper meal, without, you know, all the, the amenities and that everything will go wrong and it's supposed, you know, it's meant to go wrong. And, and, 
you know, it changes a person. It really does. I, I think for the better, but I can, I can see ways it, it could be for the worse too. Um, but yeah, as a, as a tour bus driver, you, you get to see everything, you know, and you're really a uh, counselor, a <laughs> mechanic, a, um, uh, you know, a, a a coach, I don't know. You, you're everything. A butler, uh, mm. and yeah, you you get to see these people, and for most part, um, they're you know all these bands that I that I drove, which uh, I'm I'm so honored to be able to have done that. It's I you know they're they're the sweetest people um, for the most part, and and they're they're my friends now. You know. So so you do the tour bus thing. What happens after that? Well, in um. 2010, I, I was on the road and, uh, decided I I just got an itch to, to learn production. And I, I didn't really know what that meant, but I walked into an Apple store and I bought logic at the time. And Hmm. that was when logic was in a big box (laughs) (laughs) and it cost $400 or something like that. And, um, and, and so, it, you know, I came from the music side. I didn't, I've done, you know, recording sessions, but I really didn't know about, you know, actually pressing the red button, if you will. And so I bought it and I got, you know, bought some gear, took it to my house and within, uh, you know, a month realized that I was terrible at this. And, uh, <laughs> and one thing that I have to say that, that if I have any talents at all, it's being self-aware, uh, and, <laughs> and being really persistent, those two things, which are often opposing forces. And we can talk about all that later, but it's, yeah. it, uh, I, I knew that this was not, this was not my cup of tea. So I, um, I had a, a really good friend named Micah and he was the opposite. He had um, trouble playing, um, music, but I, although he was a guitar player, he was a really great guitar player, but music wasn't his, his sole thing producing was. And he, so I literally w- walked into his house and gave him my computer and every, li- literally everything. Uh, and I said, maybe you can make this sound better than I can. And uh, he said, what, what the hell are you doing? And I, I was like, well, I don't know, but uh, you know, maybe, maybe we can make something happen. So, and he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, I mean, have you ever, do you have any songs you've written? And so I said, yeah, sure. I mean, all the time. And so I, I played him something and, you know, a couple weeks later I came back and it sounded amazing. So that was kind of the, the, um, the first spark of, of real working together and partnership that Micah had Mike and I had together. So, you know, we've been business partners, you know, ever since, and he helped uh, co-found Soundstripe with me. Um, and so we just went on a, um, uh, just a, an adventure of trying to figure out how to be the best at what we, we, we could be. And so that was producing artist records for, uh, a few years. And so we, we just hustled, 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 you know, produced, uh, you know, bands for free when they were coming into town, we found artists, we, we, uh, you know, wrote songs with them, we produced them. It, it, and it was amazing. 
But, you know, getting back to the the self-aware game, we knew that there were better songwriters out there than us. And we also were aware of the changing climate in the music industry in general. Um, that, you know, it, 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 and I'm sure that a lot of your listeners are producers, right? And you know that the hustle is just insane because you're constantly mm-hmm. looking for the next band uh, or artist that will possibly pay you money. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and, and if you're doing it just to, uh, if you're doing it full time, um, it is a hustle and, um, and it's something that you definitely can do. And, and now I, I have a, a, a greater respect for those people that can do it, but we, we really had our eyes set on something else. And, um, and that's when we, we really got into, music licensing. Um, and we, we had no idea what music licensing was, um, or, you know, people throw, you know, the music industry, people throw around, uh, sync licensing. And we were just kind of glazed over when, when people said stuff like that, but, um, it really became something that we were super interested in. We were really interested in, in, you know, music and how it paired with picture and how it, it could really just make you feel something that uh, it was, it was just amazing to me. I mean, I I remember as a kid watching Jurassic park and just like loving the score. And so that was almost better to me than the actual movie. (laughs) So um, yeah, so that's, that's really our start into music licensing. And was Soundstripe called Soundstripe from the beginning? I mean, was it at the moment, it's a subscription model, you pay X amount per month. Um, did it start out that way or was it different? Oh, uh, yeah, no. Uh, and and I don't think <laughs> everything turns out the way you, you thought it would be. I, we, yeah. had, we, didn't, we didn't come up with the subscription model till early 2016, maybe uh, right. late uh, 2015. And the, la- the, the site launched February of 16. So uh, it took us two or three years to get the, the business um, up and running. And it started off called uh, Lavello Music. And that was a tongue twister of a name that <laughs> no one could pronounce. And, and, and somebody said, it sounds like a Harry Potter spell. <laughs> so <laughs> Laveolo, uh, uh, Lavello. And so it was like, yeah, we, we have to change that. That's terrible. Yeah. And, um, and so, but, but yeah, at first the, um, the idea was to be a, a boutique music licensing company to sell to, um, big, uh, big TV shows, uh, things like that. And, and, um, yeah. and then it, it really, companies like uh, music bed, uh, marmoset, all these, all these other things, they caught our attention, but we really had no, we didn't really know much about them, uh, before we started this whole thing. We didn't know what, uh, micro licensing was. Mm. Um, but so that really caught our eye and we, we started really paying attention to the video market and where it was all going. And the fact that anybody with a, uh, smartphone now was in a way a videographer. Uh, and they could yeah. record things on their phone, 
people, YouTube, I mean, the, the, the numbers on YouTube are uh, crazy. I mean, uh, every, mm-hmm. every minute, 400 hours of uh, film are added to YouTube. And, and, wow. and every, and you know, every, almost every one of those pieces need music in, in a way. And mm-hmm. so really we decided then uh, in that moment to, to, um, to not go after something that everybody usually goes after. Like um, everybody, every band that you know is trying to get on a major sink. You know, they're trying to get that $30,000 commercial. They're trying to get on uh, Orange is the New Black or Grey's Anatomy or whatever these these shows are that, um, that, that are the prize winners. And every band is hustling, trying to get these things. Well, we noticed that, well, what about the, these wedding videographers and what about these YouTubers that they don't have the budget, but they need music. I mean, I, so we, we, and nobody is really trying to service those people and nobody, Mm. uh, no bands are really trying to go after those people and publishing, uh, publishing, uh, companies, uh, and labels are still a nightmare uh, to deal with as far as paperwork and, and licensing agreements. And it, it's just red tape city. And so we, we said, well, let's just turn in the opposite direction and everybody's going to think we're crazy. And they did. And, and <laughs> all of the music industry uh, so-called professionals told us that we were absolutely crazy and that wow. this would never work. And you know, we almost believed them, um, but but we decided that we had to prove out this idea one way or the other. Mm-hmm. That um, uh, you know, even if we fail, we we're going to take a big swing, and yep. it, it may be a home run or it may be a strike, but we're going to swing hard anyway. So we decided to to go for it, and and and. Uh, and the, the, the original concept was, well, I mean, uh, you know, look at Spotify, look at Netflix, look at, look at, we, we studied subscription businesses for, for a few months. We read a lot of books and we, we just came up with this unlimited model. We came up with, um, $15 well, at the time it was $10 a month. We went up to $15 a month or $135 a year. And, mm-hmm. And that was it. Let's keep it as simple as possible. And with the hope that all of uh, the music, uh, and uh, let me back up by saying that the original story was that Micah and myself would just put the music on the website ourselves. And, uh, and uh. We, we, we really realized pretty quickly that uh, that's not going to be enough or that will not work. So we yeah. had all of our friends with uh, a really great music in Nashville and LA and New York, we, we decided to just call them and said, Hey, we're taking a chance. We don't know what's going on. We don't know if it's going to work, but we really believe uh, in this thing. So would you help us? And so they just gave us their records and said, Hey, no problem. You know, we'll split 50, 50, what, you know, mm-hmm. and it's non-exclusive. So go after your, your, your stuff that you normally go after. And we just want to be a, 
um, a, a resource. And, you know, the, the real goal of Soundstripe is to create consistent and stable income for creatives. And, and so that, I mean, that, that was what it was. So we launched, um, February of 2016 and there were, um, three or four people that started it with us that, uh, there were three founders, uh, uh, Micah, myself and our, uh, technical founder, Trevor, that actually built the, the website. And, um, and so we just, we just kind of went off into the sunset and, and, uh, and the rest is history, I guess. Man, I love that. I love that. So you, it seems like you have a very kind of exclusive set of composers, artists. You're not like an audio jungle where anyone can sign up and contribute their music, right? We decided early on that we didn't want to be the Walmart of stock music. That's already happening. I mean, you can already go on Audio Jungle. You can go on so many of these sites, and there's there's five hundred thousand tracks, and that, that that is just noise. And and yeah. most of those tracks are just not very good. And coming from the music background that we we um, came from, the quality was really important to us. So mm. that was something that we weren't willing to compromise on. And so, you know, it, to, to this date, we still, I think right now we just passed 3000 songs, which f- for a catalog is not very many. Um, but for, for us, we, we really value quality over quantity and, and so, yeah, but you know, back then it was, is like, we would, uh, it was just our friends that were contributing music to this. And then we started getting people that would, um, apply that, that wanted to put their music. And so, you know, it, it became people there all over the world that, that, that wanted to be a part. And, uh, it, it got to be about 85 different composers and so, and producers that, and that's, that's where it is today. Uh, so we have around 85, a very closed, um, group of people that work together and, and really the, the, the evolution of that, if you will, is, is, um, the, the way I explain it is turning it into more of, uh, uh, you know, how Netflix has their original content. So, uh, mm-hmm. and so this is something that we started experimenting in, um, in late of, uh, last year and really have poured on the gas this year. So as it stands now, we're a cross between a label and a publisher and whatever Soundstripe is, uh, is mm-hmm. a, a sync licensing company. So we really, um, uh, invest in, uh, we have eight, eight different producers on staff for us that just pump out music all the time. We have, you know, a top liner, uh, a couple top liners that, that write songs over that. And, you know, we, we're not just, um, you know, producing that for the, the catalog, but we're also, you know, uh, being a little more hands-on to the development of those artists and so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's turned into, you know, I like to say a, a next generation music company, um, yeah. if you will. So it's not just the old school music licensing, but it's, it's, it's something much more. And, and it's something that we're 
we're super loving and it's it's it has all the the um the publishers and uh, labels in town very confused but i like that <laughs> yeah yeah man i think that's amazing i want to go back a bit to two things you mentioned earlier on the first one was was fear and i want to ask you what are some approaches for or to dealing with fear properly i mean you mentioned that initially you just thought it was fear or no fear and that was it but then you said you learned how to kind of integrate that and figure out how to deal with it it's a constant conversation i even have with myself today uh because you know now we have uh, 35 employees that work for soundstripe and it, it it's there's the, the fear doesn't go away. And, and I used to think that when I get here or when I do this or when I accomplish this, then it's all going to be fine. But mm. you, you know, um, everybody knows that that's not true. And, yeah. um, and so really the way I, I think about fear is that you have to, to learn what, where it really comes from. And so what, where I think about it is, is there's a, a little um, uh, part of your brain in the very back of your your head called the amygdala, uh, and mm. it is a something. It's a very ancient part of your brain, and and what it does is its it its sole purpose is to say no <laughs> that that sto- <laughs> that stove is hot. Don't touch that. Mm. That don't don't jump off that bridge. Um, uh, don't, um, jump in front of that bus. And if you think about it, we, we all need that. That's a very ancient mm. part. And that's a, that's something that keeps humans alive. And, and really that amygdala is doing its job when it's telling you that's not safe. That's not safe. Don't do that. And, and really what I think is that this amygdala has gotten confused, uh, because, humans have evolved. Now we're, we're, we, we, we are not, um, you know, sitting, uh, by next to lions and tigers, uh, mm. trying to get eaten. You know, it, we're, we're now solving problems and being creative and, uh, painting paintings and, and, and doing music and all these type things, uh, learning how to code and all, you know, all these, these type of 21st century problems that we have. And so it's, it doesn't know that though. <laughs> so it's, mm-hmm. it's constantly saying, no, that's not safe. So, so really w- what it is, is, you know, and I heard this beautiful, um, quote from, uh, the book, big magic from, uh, uh it's good, from this writer named Elizabeth Gilbert. And if you haven't read it, it's amazing. And it talks about, uh, uh, fear as a creative and, and really it's her, her, the best, quote I, I found was is that you, you this this fear can sit in the back seat of the car it is allowed to ride with you but it is not ever allowed to drive and and mm-hmm. and you know what that means is that really this fear is going to be there it's going to tell you you can't do this you're not good enough uh, this is definitely not safe because you should get a real job. You should get a normal job and and uh, quit doing this uh, production thing. And but then you you can say back to it, well, thank you, fear. <laughs> thank you. You've you've really 
helped me out here, but you are not allowed to make this decision. And mm. I think over time you get better at telling fear to be quiet. <laughs> and, um, mm. uh, but, but it, it, it is something that, that over and over I see, I, I still have fear. I mean, it, it's yeah. something that I don't think it's ever going to go away, but I, no, it doesn't go away, but, but I don't think it has to, you know, and I think that's yeah. the real point is that it doesn't have. Well, I think, it, yeah. Like I think if you didn't have it, it would be problematic also because then you might make completely irrational decisions. That's exactly right. Like starting up a business where it's not, it's just not going to work. Like you haven't done the market research or whatever it may be. Exactly. Um, yeah, so I think that's important. One thing that really helped me was uh, Tim Ferriss talked about, I think it was him, failure as irreversible decisions. Mm. So that really helped because it's like, okay, let's say I've got six months cash reserve. I can build up a business or at least start one. If that doesn't work, if it fails, is it the end of my life? Is it going to have long-term serious consequences? The answer may be yes. Like maybe you have kids and so on and so on. But maybe you don't. And so then it's like, yeah, if it fails, you know what? I'll go get a job. I'll build myself back up. It's not that bad. That is a reversible decision. Like it's not going to significantly alter my life. If you if you get drunk and then you drive a car and then you crash and you injure or kill someone, that is an irreversible decision that has serious consequences. But like not many people do that. So So thinking about it that way was really helpful for me because it's like, okay, this may not work, but is that, is it that much of a big deal? Like I'm still young, still got time. And, and most of the time the answer is it's not a big deal. Um, yeah. uh, it, for most people, I know, uh, y- you know, most people in their, their young twenties are, they have plenty of time. <laughs> like it, like yeah, it, yeah. if you want to move somewhere or you want to pursue, uh, being a producer, I mean, you really do have time. You can still be 30 and just start a career if, if that doesn't work out, you know? (laughs) Um, but you know, I, I told, I'm, I'm actually telling my team on Tuesday, the story of Babe Ruth and Babe Ruth, the all time baseball player, uh, great baseball player. He had a lot of different records, uh, that he set uh, you know, I think the most home runs ever given, I think he held that for 35 years. Uh, and then a, an interesting record he held for, I think it was 32 years was most strikeouts. So hmm. I, I think that's, that's really interesting, right? So one of the greatest baseball players of all time is also the, 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 most strike out baseball player. And then the only person that beat him to that, uh, I think uh, in the sixties or uh, something was, um, uh, 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 I see Mickey Mantle. So one of the other all time greats. So (laughs) in that so interesting, like, so I I think you have to be, you kind of have to, to hit a big swing every once in a while. Like you have to, say, okay, I'm going for it. I'm going to swing as hard as I can. And it may be nothing. It may be a strikeout, but it may be a home run as well. You know, and that, that is managing that fear and, and saying, because most people would be an average player uh, and, and not go for the big swing because you're afraid you're going to strike out. Uh, and, mm. and, uh, and so 
there, I think there's a, a, a good lesson to be learned there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I've got two more questions for you. The, the second one, which again, you mentioned earlier, self-awareness and persistence, you mentioned they were opposing forces to some degree. And I mean, that caught my attention. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So I, you know, when, whenever a, a young, um, producer or a music industry person asked me, okay, wh- what do you tell people? Well, what's the first thing that you say? And I, and I say, well, I actually say two things, uh, have a lot of persistence and also self-awareness. And, but, and if you really dive into those things, they are totally opposites and work so well together if balanced right and so it what what i uh, so so let's take take them each one by one so persistence is is really just grinding away and saying and and, and you know that's the the typical thing that you hear from a lot of people is don't quit don't quit don't quit uh keep going and uh you know that's you know th- there's there's a there's uh, a lot of recorded science on people working out. And if most people start a gym membership January 1st and they quit <laughs> March 1st or February 1st before they have any great results. And so it's really the people with the abs and the six packs are the people that have stuck it out. And uh, they, yep. they have put in a year or two or three years work. And it is almost in a, inevitable that if you grind it out that hard for that long, something good's going to come from that. And the, uh, the, but, but it also opposes with the, the second thing is self-awareness. And that is just as critical and just as important in knowing what you're good at and what you're not good at and being really, really honest with yourself. And, and, and I have to say that without both of those things that I, I would not be here where I am today. And, and so if, if so let's just say I kept on the track of producer, right? So yeah. in Nashville, it's a really hard game. Let's just, but let's just say I was super persistent and I just kept at it, kept at it, kept at it. We don't really know the end of that story. It, it could have been really great. Uh, I could have, uh, I could have have a hit uh, right now, a Justin Timberlake song. I could have, but nothing at all. I could be producing, you know, um, some some band for fifty dollars a song. I mean, really, there's, I. But I am so so glad that I decided that you know what, there. I'm going to let other people have this because this is this I'm, I I can't be the best at it. Um, you know, and so that's, that's when we got into, uh, music licensing. And so from there, even we, if, if we would have banged our head up against the wall, uh, if we would have beat that dead horse, if you will, for years and years trying to get big placements, uh, trying to get, uh, an artist on Grey's Anatomy, and um, uh, some big show, uh, you name that show, then 
you know, look at where the industry is going. You know, it's it's getting harder and harder to do that, and it, mm. it it's still possible, yes. But think about that. Like, so I, I'm really glad that we had the persistence all along, all these years. We're grinding, we're grinding, we keep going, but we have these self awareness moments that we keep adjusting the approach as we go along. Yeah. And I think that with those two things, you're, you're bound to end up in a, in a healthy spot. I think that's crucial. And I'm so glad you said it because it's very easy to just hear that don't quit advice, see an Instagram post or quote or whatever, but that's really dangerous advice. If you, <laughs> you're going down a path that's not viable or not good, uh, because you're just doing more of a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Or, it's totally not, true. It, it, like you said, it just and not not the best thing that's suited for you. And I love uh don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but Jim Collins did a for those who don't know who Jim Collins is, he's like uh he wrote two books, business books, really popular, analyzed a bunch of companies. But he did a talk at the uh Drucker Day, Peter Drucker conference, and he said advice for young people. He gave like 10 pieces of advice. Mm. One of them was find the intersect of your three circles. So one circle is what are you really passionate about? Like what can you do without being paid? Um, now, if you just give that advice by itself, like follow your passion, not always helpful. So then he says like, make sure it's economically viable because otherwise you're screwed. Uh, and third, oh, what was the third one? make sure that you're good at it. Like to some degree, genetically disposed towards doing it. Like if you suck at mathematics and you always have, mate, you could get good at mathematics, but you won't become great necessarily. You probably won't be a rocking engineer, you know? <laughs> exactly. So like find the intersect of those three things, passion, economic value, and disposition. I love that so much. And I love Jim Collins, by the way. You just hit a nerd moment for me. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Yeah. Um, Travis, I've got one more question for you. If you were to build a career in the music industry as an artist today, starting from scratch, what are the things that you would not do? Ooh, that is a great question, Sam. I wouldn't try to boil the ocean. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that I really think that the mass market is slowly going away. And so, um, uh, the, the, back in the eighties and nineties, seventies, you know, there were these gatekeepers that controlled basically all the music, the successful commercial music out there. And you had to go through those gatekeepers to, 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 to be successful. Uh, through those labels. And now uh, music has democratized, video has democratized, uh, and anybody can basically do anything. Um, you can get your music on streaming services, you can market it yourself, uh, you know, you can produce artists with a, a gear that you've spent three grand on, you know, instead of, spent, you know, buying a million dollar studio. So, Everyone now can be an artist. Uh, mm. Everyone now can be a producer, which is amazing, right? It's because it, it's, you know, and there's, there's podcasts like this. There's blogs that you do. All this information is out there on how to be a better producer, right? 
Um, and then when, when you're doing your work though, I, when I first started, I tried to boil the ocean. And what I mean by that is that I tried to be everything to everybody. Yeah. And I, you know, set up a little business card and I said, I'm a producer and I will do country and rock and, uh, electronic <laughs> and jazz and like, come on, come one, come all, you know? And that's, <laughs> this is, it is so different now, um, that it's very, very, very important that, um, you really niche down until it hurts. Um, mm. And, and find what you are really great at and be, and be the one and only, be the one and only, be the, the, uh, the, the, the local baker on, in my neighborhood bake, bake, uh, my neighborhood that, that makes these incredible breakfast sandwiches and nobody knows how to make those things. And it's, and it's hers. And she has a line out the door uh, every single day, every morning to get those breakfast sandwiches. And she is in one neighborhood in one city mm-hmm. and, and, and she is very popular, but she does what she does. And there's not one commercial bakery or competitor or anything that can touch her, uh, because she has the biscuit. She has the love that she puts into it. She has the, the thing that a neighborhood like the neighborhood I live in love her for. So, you know, I would say market to people that would really love your music and that want, want to hear more from you and don't try to be you know, everything. And, and, uh, uh, Seth Godin, a great marketing writer uh, says that if you sell to everybody, you end up selling to nobody. Yes. And that is just so good. And yet if you're an artist, you think that you want everybody in the world to hear your music and, and everyone's just going to love it, but that's just simply not, not true. And especially now on streaming, when there's so many, so many options, it, you know, it, you, you, you just get lost in the mix. And, and now I'm saying to artists, be the one and only find something that is so uniquely yours that no one else can claim it. And, uh, and then you, if you can garner a thousand fans, just start even with a hundred, but a p- hundred people that love what you do, uh, that care about what you do, that ask about what you do and that are willing to pay you for what you do. I mean, you're going to be successful and you're going to have a great career. And, uh, so yeah, that's, that's what I would say. I love that. Well, thanks Travis for coming on the show. Really appreciate the conversation. Uh, finally, where can people find you online and learn more about you? Yeah. So, uh, my website is Travis Terrell, dot live uh that's t-e-r-r-e-l-l dot l-i-v-e and uh and so i also write a blog on facebook uh you can just find me uh travis terrell there and uh and my company's website is soundstripe.com 